sounds like you're done. I'm sure there's plenty of podcasts from all kinds of this. It's all funny. The following is a fan off production. Welcome to yet another episode of Erie International, episode 392 this week. First year, first year, first episode of the new year, 2024. My name is David from the United States. Monday from Germany. And I'm Monsignor Dave from the UK. <laughs> well, we're all back together. I don't remember if I mentioned that uh, this show is brought to you by fanoffmedia.com, but if I didn't, I did now. Um, yeah, we're back together. We're excited. We've uh, already been talking off air for... Um, like 20 minutes, um, so we're all, all warmed up and ready to go. I'm halfway through my coffee, feeling good. And and here's where it all goes to shit because I set it up uh, <laughs> like we're running as a well-oiled machine. <laughs> if this is your first time listening to the show, welcome. We are a uh, horror podcast that talks about any kind of stuff that we feel like it related to horror. That might be, uh, well, look at last week's episode. There's a good example, or, or last week, our, our prior episode, our Christmas episode. Uh, we talked about an M.R. James short story and then some adaptations of it. Um, and then this week we're talking about a an early slasher called Alice, Sweet Alice, or Communion, which I was very surprised to see when my movie played because I was like, oh, shit, I bought the wrong movie. <laughs> so Mine was I called Holy Terror. Yeah. <laughs> was it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I, I bought the Arrow uh, Blu-ray because it was on sale, and I was like, all right, cool. I'll, I wouldn't mind owning this. It's a early slasher or whatever and yeah and i started it last night and it does the whole rosary stuff at the beginning and then it just goes communion i was like oh shit did i <laughs> i didn't look this up ahead of time is this not the right thing so yeah we'll, we'll get into it i'm sure uh we're on uh, social media facebook twitter blah 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 all that stuff if you want to send us some longer form thoughts we also have a gmail account which i will be reading an email here from shortly good friend elio uh and then uh, also we're on all of your podcasting platforms of choice download subscribe do whatever you want everything's free got lots of uh bonus episodes interviews in the back catalog um and uh yeah who knows what will be coming this year so subscribe on there and and we'll keep making episodes because we love it and it is fun it's it's not for you it's for us um <laughs> which sounds selfish um all right <laughs> it is who yeah, cares well, if it's selfish <laughs> <laughs> it's free. I saw a thing the other I saw a thing the other day that has stuck with me that it's not necessarily applicable to this because, I mean, this could be considered art, I guess. But um, it was a uh, an interview with Rick Rubin, who just recently, I think last year, put out a book about creativity, which I've been going through and like quite a bit. Uh, but he was talking about how he doesn't ever think of his audience uh, or doesn't think of the audience when he's making something. He's making it for himself. And I was like, OK, that's that's interesting. That's cool. And he kind of goes on to explain it. And he's like the the best possible art you can put forth is the art that you make for yourself ultimately that also ends up being uh the art that resonates with people the most he was like you look at all of these movies that come out uh that aren't that good um and he's like that is all people try studios trying to make movies for what they think people want and not for you know this thing and he's like that's not 
art. That's something else. That's commerce. And it just stuck with me. So uh, I'm bringing that up to share, but also to say that Erie International is art. Um, and uh, we are artists for making it. <laughs> anyway. To, we, 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 before we actually recorded, we were talking about wrestling, and then we had to stop, talking about stop talking about wrestling. But I have to bring it back just for a second, because you mentioned <laughs> yes. Rick Rubin. Rick Rubin was at a, a AW pay-per-view last year. They were, they were in L.A., and there were several people. Um, Steve O, Ken Jeong, and Rick Rubin were in the audience. And I recognize Rick Rubin. Bianca, my wife, has no idea who that guy is. <laughs> and I said, well, like crazy. one of the biggest producers of all time. He yeah. produced every other record in your collection. <laughs> uh, and, but, and then this, this week, I found out that he is at some conference in Germany. This, oh, this wow. year, so, so the, the, the two main people are Kim Kardashian and Rick Rubin at that conference. <laughs> and I, I, I texted her a picture of, of, of those two, and she said, oh, Kim Kardashian and that guy from wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> yep. He's got an interesting look. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I'm not like a massive I, – I know of Rick Rubin. I've listened to interviews and stuff like that, so um, I don't want to be like – Oh, I, I I love him. I don't know enough about him. Um, maybe there's been caught. I don't know. Whatever. But his book on creativity has been awesome. It's it 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 feels to me at least very unpretentious. Um, right at the beginning, he's just kind of like, look, use what's useful, throw out what's not. You know this, and you can kind of jump around. And um, especially after the past couple of years that I've had, which were you know a lot of depression, a lot of anxiety, and just kind of struggling to to reconnect with my job in some ways. I mean, I was talking before the podcast with you guys about even podcasting. There was a long stretch where I was just like, maybe I recorded my last podcast ever <laughs> with, with, uh, with Andy and Dave. Cause I just, I can't feel that connection anymore. Um, and one of the quotes at the very beginning that, uh, has also stuck with me is he, uh, I think he's quoting someone else. It's a quote from somebody else. It's not from Rick Rubin, but it's like the, the goal, uh, in creating something is not to, create art it's to get into that wonderful mental space where it's inevitable that you'll create art and i was like man that's so true and that's what's uh what was lacking but it's back now and we're recording again we could just keep talking about how great it is to keep recording uh if you guys want make it a whole episode let me give um, you another anecdote it's <laughs> what you just said <laughs> years ago I'm all, I'm all for it years ago i took a friend um, who I had known at that point for not very long. We started working at the same job and, and she had never been to a, like a proper concert. Um, mm. So I took her to a concert, which was, it was very small. It was um, like three or four like singer-songwriters from the States who had come to Germany to play these tiny shows. And, and so it, it was them and, and some musicians and crews, I don't know, maybe 10 people or so. And it was this mm. tiny place from maybe... 50 people in the audience or so if that and her um her image of music was like i would like to see a pink concert so mm. huge and and we were mm -hmm. at this concert and and at some point she looked at me and said why are they doing this <laughs> they're, they're musicians they 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 can't help themselves that is what they do mm -hmm. <laughs> there could be five people here and they would be doing this yep yep that's it. That's the key, and that's why we're making art here. We've we've just settled it. Uh, we no one could be the internet can die, and I feel like we would find a way to still connect with each other to record the podcast and send it out to no one. 
Um, we would we would find a loophole to keep making it. <laughs> even though We'd no have to it. record uh, scripted bits on cassette tape and send them overseas. <laughs> Mail them back and forth. Yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> speaking of that, oh, I can't keep doing this. Let me read this email from Elio. <laughs> Remind me later. I have something to tell you guys that I, I picked up that's like a, a creative overseas sort of project I need to tell you about. Um, all right. Let me, let me read this. So Elio actually sent this in. Uh, I believe the day after we re-recorded our last episode of 2023, or later that day. Just just the day that we released the episode, so yeah. That's what it was, yeah. He, it could he have been the day that we recorded as well, or the next day. <laughs> um, but we have it here. End of the year email. <laughs> hey, Erie, I hope you all are doing great. Before we get into horror and all that, I wanted to send a heartfelt thank you to all three of you. Doing anything consistently is not easy. Putting yourself out there for an hour and a half or two-hour conversation once a week to talk about a specific genre is not easy at all. Your show has been a constant and consistent companion over the years, and I greatly enjoy and appreciate all you three, too. Man, I was not having us talk about all that. This Now it seems like I was like, <laughs> let's really build ourselves up <laughs> what we do <laughs> so that Elio could then thank, you, thank us for all of the shit I just said. I, I promise I had not read this email. Uh, okay, your show has been a cons- constant and consistent companion over the years, and I greatly enjoy and appreciate all you three do. It's a great end cap to my week to start over fresh on Monday. So for me to all of you, I hope you have a restful and joyous holiday and you all get some time to yourselves and with your family. Uh, yeah, I'll pause there and say thank you, Elio, from all three of us. And uh, yeah, that was another thing we were talking about before we started recording, how much um, you know the rest has helped us and, and it's an important part. Now on to the horror. Uh, I'm going to start with two books. I started buying books from a small imprint called Weird Punk Books. It's mainly novellas and small novels, so I read through them quick. Uh, The first one is Chain Devils by Matthew Mitchell, a post-apocalyptic splatterfest, particularly focused in the Ozarks and rural America, which I've been very interested in lately. This book was a little hard to follow, but had so much heart behind it. You can tell that the author really loved writing about what he was writing about. I think there's a lot of Warhammer influence here because the author is obsessed on Twitter, <laughs> but I am totally unaware of any of that world. It was a violent, vulgar splatterfest that you can get. You can just tell the author was having fun with. Uh, the second is Mutant Circuit by Mark Jaskowski. Uh, this is a Cronenberg love letter that really reminds me of the movie Splinter from the early 2000s. Have you guys seen that movie? Can't remember. It's the Vincent Natale movie, right? Uh, I think it is. Yeah. Well. Is it? Yeah. yeah, it's it's the one that's in like a gas station, um, and there's this like little like oh, the other alien. one. I want Splice was the Vincenzo Natale movie. I have oh, seen Splice. Yeah, I have yeah. not seen Splice. Okay, <laughs> yeah, I've I've been wanting to rewatch it, and Elio reminded me of it uh, with this uh, with this email. Um, let's see. A girl wakes up with the grow with a bean growing in her and making her a bloodthirsty monster. This is another gross read that's a lot of fun and interesting to follow. I'm three quarters of the way through it, and definitely enjoying my time. In terms of movies or other media I listened to, the Christopher Lee reading of The Ash Tree, that was the our uh, last episode I mentioned earlier, the Christopher Lee reading was great. I felt really nostalgic listening and a sense of comfort from Lee, which is funny because all I ever knew him from was Star Wars and Lord of the Rings. But as I've gotten older, I really like how prolific his career was. I then watched the BBC special and it was great. There's just something comforting about old ghost stories, lol. Uh, well, that's it from me, guys. I hope you all have a great new year and everyone is healthy and happy. All the love and admiration, Elio. Elio's a good dude. We talk about him on the show um, uh, pretty consistently because we are fans of him. Um, and uh, Dave, have you met Elio in person, or is, is Andy the only one? I think Andy's the only one, unfortunately. You guys, I would, I you would guys like met to. him on your trip. Yeah, me too. Seems like a good guy to hang out with, too. 
um, up in Brooklyn and had cheese boats. It was wonderful. That's right. I knew that there was something there. Wasn't didn't we have a thing with Elio too for a long time where we were coming up with different nicknames? Was that Elio? Yeah, wrestling flapjack. Wrestle Flapjack. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's yes. Twitter name. Grapple Pancakes. Yeah. Yes. Grapple Bruce the Pancakes. Barber Cheesecake. <laughs> <laughs> that was yeah, Dave's that was a... Bruce the Barber's Cheesecake. I was very jealous of that one. <laughs> oh, I believe me, I've got a whole list of them squirreled away somewhere. <laughs> Wrestle Flapjack, man. I forgot the Rock about that. Cake as well. That would be a good one. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, again, Elio, thank you for writing. It means a lot to us. Um, and uh, yeah, hope to hear from you more this year as we as we go through everything. Um. All right. My anything else before we jump into what we got into for the past couple no. weeks? I think that's it. Okay. Um. Uh. Let's start with you, Dave. Uh, mm. uh. Because I'm not ready. Um. Did you get into anything interesting over our break? I did, and thankfully I've remembered a couple of other bits. Um. Just now, so I'm not going to completely uh forget stuff and then do my usual of coming back later and saying, oh, and I also did this. Oh, and I also did that. Um. <laughs> let's good. start with the one which I would be remiss if I didn't mention, which is a ghost story for Christmas, 2023. Uh, this is uh, an adaptation of lot number 249, which is an Arthur Conan Doyle story. And um, we'll get more into the Conan Doyle stuff in a second because, oh, lordy, do I love a crossover. Um, so this uh, stars a bunch of people whose names I should remember, but I can't off the top of my head. Uh, Kit Harrington is Harrington one of them. Kit Harrington was in the one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so so Kit- is this, sorry, uh, just to make sure I remember, is this the new one we mentioned was coming, like the yes. Gatiss Britain? Okay, cool. It cool. is indeed. Um, so, yeah, Kit Harrington um, plays uh, Professor Smith. Uh, there's also um, Colin Ryan and Freddie Fox. Uh, now, Freddie Fox is an interesting one because I believe he is a member of the Facts, the Facts, the Fox acting dynasty, which uh, includes an awful lot of well-known British actors with the last name Fox, including Amelia, and unfortunately a right-wing nutcase. Um, who I shan't be mentioning actually because he's just a dickhead. Uh, but they Fred- also have the Amer- the American branch, Michael J. Fox. Of course, out of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. How could I forget Michael J. Um, yeah. But yeah, like a, a a very good actor, and he's got a very unique look. Actually, a uh, very um, memorable face that one. But uh, this is basically a a story uh, set in the nineteenth century um, in Oxford. Uh, university grounds and the idea is that uh, one of the students there is practicing black magic witchcraft whatever you like bringing back to life a a mummy from ancient egypt and using it to uh to murder people on campus um kit harrington's character at one point mentions that he has a good friend um who uh, has has uh, moved not too far away that he's going to talk to about this it turns out that this good friend is actually sherlock holmes um oh, it's just the most random fucking occurrence um so yeah that, so he, he makes like a, an unnamed appearance in the uh, show itself he's actually just referred to as the friend or the uh the the acquaintance or something i can't remember exactly but it's really well done very well directed very atmospheric um the special effects are few and far between but they they basically pull the the alien joke um where i say joke um the alien technique of keeping it in the shadows as much as possible um mm. So you only really get kind of one or two good looks at the uh, at the monster, 
but it's it's an excellent uh christmas uh ghost story which i would recommend everyone watch if they haven't already although i've kind of ruined it for them um and uh unfortunately they haven't done a very good job of keeping the other ghost stories on iplayer um the one from last year was only on for a few days at the point that andy mentioned it to me and then i plum forgot to go and watch it and ended up trying to watch it the day after they'd taken it off the service so mm. i was very annoyed by that but that's my fault and not anyone else's but it's it's very very good it's only a half hour long um it was originally screened on the 24th of december at 10 in the evening and uh, it should be available on iplayer for anyone who is in the uk or anyone with a vpn that can get themselves access to iPlayer. that's me that's <laughs> you on it. <laughs> just make sure you tell them you have a tv license otherwise it won't work um so then i uh, i watched a couple of films on the 9th of january uh the first i put them both on um letterboxd so it's not going to be a surprise to anyone who uh who follows me on there but uh, the first one isn't horror, but I'll mention it anyway because I have a love-hate relationship with the franchise. Uh, I watched The Matrix Resurrections. Actually quite enjoyed it, which I'm very annoyed yeah, at. Yeah, I saw, I saw your review. I yeah. saw it. Yeah. Look, After years of you giving Austin and I shit of liking those sequels, suddenly someone likes a <laughs> Matrix sequel. How interesting. How interesting. Hey, look, and, and I'll, I'll say what I said in the review. You, you cannot question the visual like impact of those sequels that they are very good looking movies i just always felt that the story felt like it was really extruded to the point of snapping into pieces like they really were working overtime to make everything make sense the thing about resurrections is that going into it knowing what they've done with the previous three films they've crafted a story here where it makes everything make sense um it looks amazing uh the the only yeah I, I liked it too the i went in expecting this thing i always tell everybody i went in expecting to without a doubt be happy with the action mm. uh and and like the the you know fighting crack whatever uh but i was very nervous about what they were going to do with the lore yeah. and because i i'm a big fan of the entire universe with that stuff like i uh you know i i matrix on its own is a perfect movie and then if you want more sci-fi stuff there's more movies um <laughs> but that's where i'm landing these days <laughs> yeah but i came out the opposite i was like i loved all mm. of the lore and the story stuff I, I thought it was really cool especially the stuff with uh um uh zion and and how they you know updated some of that stuff the changes with the machines like i thought all that stuff was so cool mm. and the action was one of the most boring <laughs> yeah. movies i've ever seen it is a dull fucking action movie uh but it, it's got some really some yeah. great story stuff it's amazing when you think that the john wick movies have carried on the uh, yeah. the the lineage of the matrix films and have done just amazing choreography and brilliant action in all of those films and then they make another Matrix movie and it just feels very stilted in the action. Like yeah. I'm glad I'm not the only one that thought that. Um, it wasn't bad enough that I mentioned it in the review because I thought that the action was serviceable. But I kind of Yeah, it's it... not horrible, but the mm. the Matrix has a high a high bar. <laughs> and so it does. to not even come close to the other movies was was surprising to me. I just but wonder like, if like it... you said, there's a lot of other stuff to enjoy in it. So it's there is a... for sure. Like they've done a lot of heavy lifting with with the lore and the the, the look of it is still very good. I wonder yeah. if maybe it's that filmmaking has now caught up to the Matrix, and so 
it kind of can't stay as far ahead of everything else as it once was. And so what we're expecting and what we're getting are two different things. And that means that the action is still decent and serviceable, but it's just not ahead of the game in the same way that those other movies were. Um, yeah, and it's it's one of the Wachowskis as opposed to Bo. I mean, there's there's true. a lot of, um, of of differences, and and that's not me saying like, oh, you know, they got to get both Wachowskis in order to have good action. <laughs> I, I think you're you're right. I mean, the the script and and everything like it, it's a very intentionally told movie. Mm, um mm. and uh yeah so it I, I felt the same way i didn't walk out of it being like oh i'm so let down by the by the action i just wanted to have a good time i, I instead yeah. walked out being like that was cool they justified i thought making it and it was a cool story they did and um I'll, I'll be honest i i had a conversation a little while ago about the matrix last year where i was like maybe i should revisit the other two sequels because i've not seen them since they were in cinemas and maybe my expectations at the time have kind of poisoned my viewing of those films mm. f- since then. So I, I have actually, I am the owner of the Matrix trilogy on Blu-ray. So um, <laughs> I went out and bought them on Blu-ray after after Come I had over, that Dave. conversation. So I, I Come will, on over. I will probably go back and watch them again. I, I will always be of the belief that those sequels were made because Warners were like, come on, make more money for us. And the Wachowskis were like, we like money. Yes, okay. Um, well, it's hilarious because... The- the the new one has so much great meta oh like, it absolutely rips the about shit out the studios of and <laughs> yes yeah, it's great. i love the fact that warners <laughs> are a studio that although i i might have my problems with them much like disney they're not afraid of films being made under their watch that criticize them as long as they're making yeah. the dollar off of it you know so yeah <laughs> well true. you can slag us off all you want you paid to see it so fucking go at it um so yeah it's 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 a it's a three and a half out of five movie for me yeah. so you know it's it's decent it's it, it is really decent it may have rescued the entire franchise for me in a weird way <laughs> so there we go um i also for the first time in my life um watched from beginning to end scanners from 1981 Ooh. yeah um scanners is a weird one because i wanted to watch it a lot earlier but it just wasn't available to buy physically um so I just kind of bided my time and waited for it to be available somewhere. And then somewhere along the line, I forgot that I wanted to watch it until I saw that it was available to watch on Amazon Prime. So ended up watching it that day. And um, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a fun movie. It's got some really gory special effects, as everyone's aware. I'm sure that everyone has at one point or another been on Twitter and seen the, uh, the, the gif of the, uh, the guy's head going like i was just getting ready to bring that i don't <laughs> i'm trying to think if there are any other horror movies that more people have seen a scene from <laughs> than like that gif was is, it still is pretty prevalent but for a mm. while was like everywhere and yeah. to the point that when i watched um what did i watch that i talked about a while back was it scanner cop i think it was scanner cop mm. um which was like technically the fourth scanners movie or something <laughs> but the my friend Trevin, who I was watching it with, uh, that was the first thing I brought up. I was like, "Have you ever seen that dude at a news desk?" Who, and he's like, "His head explodes." And I was like, "Yep, <laughs> that was Scanners." That's the funny so. thing. I always thought he was at a news desk as well. And then you watch the movie, and you're like, "Oh, it's not a news desk. It's actually like they're in like a oh, university it's like a college. lecture hall yeah. kind of thing." That's yeah. right. And I was like, yeah. "Okay, well, I can understand why I thought that because it's you know it's like late eight sorry early eighties late seventies kind of era." So. Most news news desks were all kind of beige and yeah. <laughs> different like that, but yeah, it's it's a fun movie. Um, I I feel like I've probably seen the ending at some point, or I've watched enough YouTube um, horror 
uh, essays where they mention it that I knew where it was going. Um, so there, there is a, a big kind of twist right at the end of the film. I'm not going to mention it in case people haven't seen it because I've already ruined one thing that I've talked about today. I'm not going to do it again. Uh, but what I would say is that I felt that if that scene was given like maybe an extra 30 seconds to a minute to breathe, then it would have felt more of a rounded ending for me. It just, it ended up, and funnily enough, this leads into the next thing that I watched. It felt like, you remember when we watched Dracula from 1931 or whenever it was, and I was like, this has got a very sudden ending. Like, it's literally like Van Helsing comes in off screen and says, I have killed Dracula, and that's the end of the film. You don't see Dracula die or anything. It's literally like, ha, 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 we won, and he lost. (laughs) And it just flashes up the end, and that's the end of the film. Uh, Scanners kind of has one of those kind of endings where it just feels like, and I don't know if he's done it for the impact of, like, it's over, we won, or, you know, it's over, we lost. I, uh, I... I wonder if he's done it for that impact. Cronenberg, this is. Um, but it just didn't quite work for me. I, I felt like it would have been nice to have just a little bit more interaction between characters at the end of the film just to mm. give it more of an impact, the ending. Um, but, uh, hey, look, I've watched several films since we were last on which have Michael Ironside in them. This is probably his <laughs> most unhinged performance. And bearing in mind that... <laughs> The other film that I'm talking about is Highlander 2, The Quickening. Um, that Quickening. is going on some. <laughs> um, he, he's great in the, in this film. He really is. And there's a lot of twists and turns about his character, which I wasn't aware of that I didn't see coming. Um, and I, I just think his performance is like top notch. And then you've got Patrick McGowan as the uh, kind of the, the doctor or the professor in charge of the scanners project at this defense company. And he has kind of a weird end to his story where I was like, I'm not entirely sure what they're going for here and they've lost me, but I appreciate the acting that he's putting into this because he chews the scenery like no one else, um, except for maybe Ironside. Uh, it's a it's a fun film. Uh, again, it's like a three and a half out of five for me. Like it, it, There are things about it that don't work for me. I don't know how a phone booth can blow up in a massive shower of electric sparks when... I'm guessing that at most you've got like 12 volts running to a phone line. Um, but it's sci-fi. People don't remember this, but we used to lace phone booths with dynamite. Oh, like, like your cars. not around anymore, so yeah. Yeah, because everything blows up in this movie. Cars, phone booths, computers, <laughs> you know, bottles of water. Uh, everything just goes kaboom. People's chests. There's a lot of shotguns yep. being used in this movie. I appreciate when a, a, a director says, no, I want shotguns in every scene. <laughs> uh, maximum impact. So, yeah, um, Scanners, really good movie. Really enjoyed it. Lots of fun. Problems, but still a lot of fun to watch. Um, Highlander 2, The Quickening. I watched the movie as well as watching a What Went Wrong with Highlander 2, The Quickening movie. Um, <laughs> thing and now i want to watch the renegade cut because apparently there is this cut out there which changes the entire zeist backstory um and gets rid of it so for those who aren't aware um and i don't think i'm spoiling anything that people are going to be too upset about here in highlander 2 they explain that the immortals all came from the planet zeist that they're aliens and they've been banished to the planet earth to fight in this tournament to basically um, have a civil war amongst themselves because they were all rebels on this foreign planet. Um, And 
obviously uh, Conor McLeod wins this tournament and ends up uh, deciding that he's going to just live his life and be a, be a real boy, much like Pinocchio, <laughs> but without the long nose. And um, there's a malfunction at the junction where the leader of the alien planet of Zeist, who is handily named Katana, because of course he is, it's a movie mm. about sword fighting, for Christ's sake, um, he is basically told that uh, McLeod has won the tournament and he's concerned that McLeod is going to take the ultimate prize and return to Zeist and he's going to usurp him and so he sends two of his henchmen to kill him. In doing so, McLeod t- cuts one of their heads off and becomes immortal again and actually becomes a threat and then the entire thing is about the ozone and all this kind of weird stuff. It's it's not a good movie, but it's a fun no. movie which I will happily watch any day of the week. Um, but yeah, apparently the Renegade cut uh, takes away all of the alien shit and turns it into um, actually there from the distant past when we had sufficient technology to send people to the future. And so they came from the past rather than from the planet Zeist. I don't know if it makes it any better, but I really want to watch this edit. So I'm on the lookout for a copy of the Renegade Cut for anyone that's listening. Let me know if you can find it from a reputable dealer. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so there was that. And was there anything else? I can't think of much else, to be honest. I probably listened to a few podcasts, but off the top of my head, I can't think of any of those. So I'm going to stop here because I've been wittering on for far too long. Uh, Which of you wants to go next? Andy. I listen to a few podcasts. <clears throat> um, first one I'm going to mention is called Bloodhouse. House, H-A-U-S, like the German word house, like in Bauhaus. Um, a podcast that is new to me, but they're actually at, they just released their 99th episode. So they've been going for a little while. And it's a horror movie podcast about um, arty, art house horror movies. Ooh, and okay. I... Found them on Twitter, BJ Colangelo, I believe it was, who retweeted them, and BJ Colangelo was on an episode. BJ is a person. If if you're in in the horror Twitter community, you really know her as a person who talks and yeah. writes about horror mm-hmm. movies. And um, so I became interested in the in the podcast. Listened to a few episodes, and I listened to their episodes on Cemetery Man, aka Delamorte Delamore, the Neon Demon, Perfect Blue. That's the episode that BJ Colangelo wasn't was a guest on. Their episode on Hellraiser, and I started their episode on Alice, Sweet Alice. Um, and it's two people um, who, um, as far as I know, are. They they do live in LA and Drusilla does work in the movie business in as far as she designs posters and DVD covers for like Criterion and she did the poster for Bodies 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 and and stuff like that. Oh, cool. I do, I do not know what Josh does, but they are big horror fans, fans of art house movies and. In, in some episodes you realize oh they, they really do know their movie history just in general mm. they, they mention other movies and old movies and uh, it's just two people sometimes with a guest having a conversation about a art house horror movie and as you see they're not sometimes not super arty maybe Hellraiser it's just a regular horror movie that <laughs> any horror fan would just watch and you don't have to only subscribe to A24 movies <laughs> to watch Hellraiser. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, um, 
it's 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 a fun podcast and i think people should check it out the no, other podcast i listened to a bunch over the past few weeks was the losers club um a, a stephen king podcast and they've been i think they've just now started their eighth season which i believe is their eighth year so they've been going for a while as well wow. and um they have a bunch of hosts um not all of them are on every episode they they just i i guess it's like they they have a like <laughs> a pool of i don't know 12 people and uh, whoever has the time is on an episode or a, i don't know how they do it but they they're sometimes they do have guests so they're there's like four or five people on an episode episodes are sometimes two and a half three hours long i listened to their latest series on the novel 112263, which was six episodes. Each episode ran like two and a half to three hours. And then they had two extra episodes where they interviewed people who know about the JFK history and the and the conspiracy theories and all that stuff. So like supplemental episodes to give context to the actual history. Uh, and to discuss with them what Stephen King did with that history in that novel. I love that book. Right. They all love that book. So um, great episodes. I downloaded a bunch more. I listened to, or I'm currently in the process of listening to their episode on The Gunslinger, the first Dark Tower novel, mm. because I've read that novel now. Uh, as I believe <laughs> I mentioned last year, I've made it my project to read all the Dark Tower books this year it's in 2024. Finish them before I do. <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> that 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 first book is like barely 250, 240, 250 pages long. Um, and in the beginning of the year, I had a little more time, and I made it a point to to read at least, and if it's just five pages, but at least read a few pages every day. If I'm if I get more pages in, the more the better. But I just wanted to get going and have a little consistency and so I finished the, that book in, in eight days and immediately um, started um, the second book, The Drawing of the Three. By now I have one no, one or two days on which I did not read anything because I was busy with other things. But yeah, so anyway, I downloaded all their episodes on the Dark Tower series. They talked about all those books in, in the span of a few years. <laughs> um, they have an episode which I've also downloaded, which I haven't listened to yet, which, but which um, sounds great. And it's, let me just pull up so I don't mess up the title. Finding Stephen King in Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. <laughs> sounds like a great topic. Um, Did somebody worm their way into our heads and just come up with the most <laughs> on-brand fucking episode for us? <laughs> They had a Stephen King interview in 2022, which I've also downloaded. So, yeah, it, it's it's a great episode. They obviously know what cool. they're talking about. They've been doing this for quite a long time. Um, and so, yeah, also comes highly recommend. And, yeah, those are the three things. Uh, Bloodhouse, The Losers Club, and The Dark Tower. Three things on my list. David, you're up. Sweet. Uh, I've only got one one thing technically. Um, I did want to quickly mention, just because I, I highly recommend it if you are into um, just film and, and script writing in general, um, <clears throat> or script writing and film in general, I should say. But The New Yorker did a profile on Scott Frank, um, who is uh, now more well-known for like The Queen's Gambit and Godless and um, stuff he's done recently before that probably was out of sight, was like the big one people pointed to. 
Uh, but the this profile in particular talks about how um, it, a lot of his it's, it's an overarching career thing, but a lot of um, his rewrite stuff and how he's been kind of the guy to go to that the studios will go to and, and, and say we need we need to to fix the script and and he would fix it or make it work or whatever else. So fantastic profile. I don't have a subscription to the New Yorker. Um, uh, so I had to use a, a 12 foot ladder website or whatever to get past the paywall. <laughs> but, uh, if you can get your hands on the article, it is amazing, full of fantastic anecdotes and references, like going back to William Goldman and, and, uh, different influences. He's had lots of interesting stuff about his relationship with Steven Soderbergh. Um, great profile. And so after that, I had a long list of movies I wanted to, or, or projects I wanted to either watch or rewatch. Um, and one of those was Logan. He was the, the I think, pr- kind of primary, first credited screenwriter, at least on the 2017 Logan movie, the, the X-Men movie. So I rewatched it, and man, it is, I think this will probably end up being, you know, 20, 30 years from now, this will be in the top thing. that I, I think a lot of people kind of have not forgotten about it, but just we've had so many superhero movies since then. Um, going back to it now and, and watching it kind of on its own, whether you've seen a single superhero movie or not, it's just such a such a fantastic script. It's gorgeous. Like the performance, it's so good, so good. And I'm less into superhero movies at this point in my life than any other time in my life, probably. And the fact that I'm not in a bad way, just <laughs> yeah. And and it's not even a negative thing. Just I've just changed a lot. I think like a lot of people have. And um, but then yeah, there's that too. Like we've we've had so many superhero movies at this point. Um, but watching that film and, and, and how they, uh, use these tiny moments and, and create, uh, this bigger overall picture, just, it's fantastic. Um, the other one I wanted to quickly mention too, this one was not related to Scott Frank, but it was another sort of neo-Western that I really liked was called Let Him Go, uh, starring Kevin Costner and Diane Lane. Um, oh. it reminded me a lot of something, it's not quite as pulpy as Cold in July, but, uh, if you kind of go in that direction, um, I was just excited because I, I love both of those actors and, and they've both been making movies for a while now that are kind of, you know, geared towards your parents <laughs> as opposed to, you know, I don't know. And not to discredit their work or anything, but being able to watch them as a married couple in this this thriller, neo-western sort of thing uh, was fantastic. I, I loved every second of it. Um, and it wasn't until the very end of the movie that I was like, oh, shit, it's Mon Pa Ken. <laughs> I completely forgot <laughs> that they played them <laughs> in that Superman movie. <laughs> so uh, I, I would imagine that was probably a hook for most people. But, yeah, I didn't even think about it. Um, so, yeah, recommended as well. It, it kind of flew under the radar, I think, in a lot of ways. It came out in 2020, but I wanted to highlight it just because I think more people should should check it out. Um, but the horror movie that I did watch was The Outwaters uh, from 2022. Um, this has been on my list for a while. It's written and directed by Robbie Banfitch. Um, I mean, I can read the synopsis on uh, Letterboxd. Uh, four travelers encounter menacing phenomena while camping in a remote stretch of the Mojave Desert. Um, so it's a uh, yeah, it's about um, a group of friends who are going out to the desert to shoot this music video uh, for one of their friends who's a a singer performer and things start to happen now it's a found footage movie um that immediately is going to be divisive for people <laughs> beyond that uh it is a how do i how do i say it not not experimental um it's not like skin and level where you just have to be on board for something completely outside of the box but it is a film that doesn't hold your hand at all 
um, and does a lot of crazy shit. Um, I absolutely loved it. I thought it was fantastic. I thought about it for a long time afterward. Um, it's it's it was done for a smaller budget, um, and for the at times you you know might see a little bit of that, but for the most part, uh, he yeah they just pulled off so much. I felt that the thing one of the things I loved about it the most was the themes that are so present. Like th- this is I've talked about this a lot with you guys and and my friend Austin. Like the idea of putting something into a film where the difference between a writer sort of knowing, all right, I have these things in here and I'm not going to point them out. I'm not going to, to, you know, spell it out for the audience, but here, and I was trying to say something with this. I was trying to convey something as opposed to screenwriters who are like, what do you think it means? And it feels kind of like a cop out where it's like, it sounds like you made up some, some vague shit. And now you want me to do the work. <laughs> this felt like the former. It felt like there was a lot of stuff there that I didn't connect or, or didn't make sense to me. Um, but the more I thought about it, the more I started going back, the more I started reading posts and reviews and write up, whatever, um, different things started to come into focus in a different way. And, uh, I don't want to say what any of those things are because I think part of the, the fun and the experience of this film, if you are interested in it, is being able to experience as it, experience it as it goes. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, I was, I was a big fan of it. Again, I, I totally get why I've seen a lot of, um, four or five star reviews on letterbox and a lot of like one star <laughs> reviews so i think for for some people there's this kind of like this is just a a dumb shit like a dumb shit a dumbass um found footage movie where you know there's nothing going on and it's just craziness and i'm, I'm bored um if you fall into that camp I, I get why you know but also if you fall into the other camp where you're like there's a lot here and uh i i like to dive in i want to dive into it and rewatch it uh, that's kind of where I fell. So I, I definitely recommend it. Uh, it does get pretty gory if that's a thing, if that's a problem for you out there. But um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's a horror movie. So, uh, And then I watched Jackass Forever on Christmas Eve with yeah, my dad. And that was, it was great. <laughs> it was a good time. He had not seen it yet. So that was fun. Nice. Um, yeah. That was, oh, uh, one other thing. I also bought the uh, remake of Resident Evil 4. And I just started playing that this week. Um Played it uh, and loved it back when it came out on GameCube. These remakes of Resident Evil games have been so good. Um, I, I've only played a little bit of the third one. I played, I think, all of the second one. Um, and now the fourth one. And they're just really well done. Atmospheric. They look great. A lot of fun to play. Um, so, yeah. Resident Evil 4, I think, is often cited. Would you agree, Dave? It's like, you, it's usually up there, right? In terms of ranking people's favorites. Yeah, I mean, I I fell off of Resident Evil after the third one, which I think was Nemesis. Um, yeah. Uh, but I, I know, like, one of my friends, because uh, I, I didn't get a GameCube until a lot later, which is part of the reason why I fell off of the, the Resident Evil. Yeah. Um, I I he he was absolutely mad for it, and I remember that they like released a chainsaw controller for it, and like, <laughs> that's there, right. I forgot there was about some that. absolute mad lad stuff going on with that game, <laughs> but yeah, it it did for better or worse. It changed the direction of the franchise because it suddenly opened mm-hmm. things up to being not just about zombies, but about like cults and witchcraft, and you know, there, yeah. there's an awful lot of other stuff that has fed into the later games. And they changed the camera, like it was over the shoulder. It was thing, over the shoulder, as opposed to the yeah. tanky stuff from the other ones. And, yeah, which yeah. made it a, a much better game to play uh, from yeah. the small amount of gameplay time that I've I've had with it. Um, but yeah, to be honest, I, I kind of just moved on to 
Ow! Sorry, the dog is attacking me. Like, literally attacking me. I don't know what's wrong with it the last few days. Um, uh, but, yeah, it's... Um, hang on a second. Come here. Come here. Come here. Oh, now you're fighting me. Yeah. Now First the delivery our, guy, our now the dog. Of, All right, here we go. I was going to say, our perceptions of Dave change dramatically as we hear gotcha. him murder a dog and we have gotcha. to... No, it's all right, because as soon as you that. put her on your lap, she's fine. She doesn't bite you anymore, okay. probably because I've got easier <laughs> access to her scruff. Um, but yeah, so the, uh, the the controls, I think I was talking about, um, Yeah. definitely controls better. Uh, but I was so used to, I suppose at that point, only having to deal with shamblers and occasionally dogs that i didn't really yeah. like it so much i guess that's a big thing is the the tension changes a lot because with the over the shoulder thing especially when you're aiming your gun and you've got you know village people <laughs> approaching you with the policeman the construction the full worker, village people yeah. the native american guy yeah <laughs> they're approaching you slowly all of them have like axes held up or whatever and it worked really well for the survival horror aspect of it because it's like you got to get headshots and you've got eight bullets <laughs> and uh there's a there's a fun thing back when the game came out too at a certain point in the game you know you kill you kill a, an infected you know uh random village person and uh they their head pops and then these tentacles shoot out of their head and they have a second life basically because they're infected with this thing mm. um so yeah like you said they subverted a lot of stuff they had been doing before in the franchise but yeah i mean this, these remakes, I think, are great. If you've never played the Resident Evil games, um, it sounds like the the third one was well received. Maybe a little bit less so than the other ones. I mean, two is a is a, a classic uh, of the survival horror genre, anyway. So people have a lot of love for it. Um, but yeah, they're uh, they're a lot of fun, and uh, they they they're at the right balance for me. I'm with horror video games. I definitely am somebody who uh can get too scared and when i get to that point i no longer am having fun so then i'm like fuck this <laughs> i'm done and I'll, I'll stop playing so like some of the dead space games got to that place for me to where i was just like i'm not having fun anymore i'm just stressed out um uh, the resident evil ones especially the remakes um for whatever reason has been about the right balance for me to where i i feel there's enough sort of action or uh engagement um and and horror but it, it doesn't feel like i'm just terrified the entire time so um, i'm excited to play the rest of it see how they've changed things uh if anything um and uh, yeah either way it's a it's a good game that is it for me so if you guys are ready we can jump into our film of the week communion what is the mystery of the murders that happen again and again is it alice she's only 12 and wouldn't hurt a fly or would she and see tintorera communion and tintorera in a big double thriller program at a cinema near you alice sweet alice or communion depending on what you're watching or what was it holy terror <laughs> is that what you guys like said frank miller book yeah that's what i thought of first um okay let, let me read here from wikipedia alice sweet alice originally titled communion it's a 1976 American psychological 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 slasher film co-written and directed by Alfred Soul and starring Linda Miller, Paula Shepard, and Brooke Shields in her film debut. Set in 1961 New Jersey, the film focuses on a troubled adolescent girl who becomes a suspect in the brutal murder of her younger sister at her first communion, as well in a series of unsolved stabbings that follow. Um, Andy, why are we talking about this movie this week? I, I, did you why? tell us? I don't even remember. <laughs> why did you make us watch this? <laughs> no, I, 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 it was it was your uh, suggestion this week. So I, I'm assuming there's a connection somewhere. If not anything, just then you were like, it's been on your radar and you wanted to watch it. 
Alice Oz is a title that comes up when you, I don't know, involve yourself in, in horror movies and, and from time to time. Um, it's, I've heard that title. I've never seen the film. Um, and there's, uh, I've, I've, on, on YouTube, I'm subscribing to a channel that releases old movies on YouTube. And recently they released Alice Sweet Alice. Oh, cool. <laughs> it's as easy that. as that. I, I, I suddenly had free access to a, a, a movie. <laughs> Andy C movie, Andy <laughs> and, review movie. <laughs> it's, I mean, you, you know how it goes. We always have to find movies that all three of us have easy access yep. to. And YouTube usually is an easy access. Sometimes there's differences in, 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 in regional accessibility to stuff on YouTube as well. But with that channel so far, I think we've reviewed a few movies that they released. Um, access hasn't been no problem for all of us. Um, yeah. So um, that, that's it, it went on the list of possibilities. Perfect. Yeah, and it was the same for me for, for years. I, I've always heard the title, um, but never knew. <laughs> Weirdly, uh, for whatever reason, I I mean, now I understand why, but I associated it with whatever happened to Baby Jane, which we've talked about on the show as well. Um, for a long time, it was one of those sort of like early uh, horror examples that I knew was was significant in some way because I had heard it mentioned and seen the title and, and all that, but didn't know um, a lot about. So when I sat down to watch this, I, I really knew nothing about it. I had no idea what was uh, what the plot was or, or anything um, other than I saw the cover, which was the the mask and raincoat. So I knew there was something going on there. Um, all right, let's, uh, let's, let's, let's jump around. Dave, let's start with you. What did you think mm. of the film overall? And um, yeah, what was your take? Uh, I think the first 20 minutes was a confusing mess for me. And I think that's more due to me than it is the film, but I was constantly cons uh, confused as to who was Alice and who was Karen. Um, like they had to pick two girls that looked so close to being twins that it was distracting. Um, again, probably my fault than anything. Um, it just kind of felt like it dragged for those, those first 20 minutes or so. Um, after that, it started to pick up a little bit more and I really started to enjoy it. Um, I, uh, I, I think it's, it's pretty well shot. Uh, you can definitely tell that it's made on a budget, even for the time. Um, it was interesting that they said it in 61 uh like the the idea of um oh, bloody dog <laughs> excuse me while i deal with the scattering um <laughs> the, the yeah the, the idea of uh, a film made in like 1976 being set in 1961 for no really good reason is an interesting one to me like i don't know why it was set at that time like they could have very easily made it a contemporary story and I don't think it would have affected any of the storytelling whatsoever. Um, it's not like when you're making films now and it's like, well, we have to set it before mobile phones because a lot of the problems that our characters face could be easily solved by having a way of contacting other people immediately, you know? But between 61 and 76 or whatever it was, I, I don't feel like those 15 years make a big difference to how this story is developed and, and how it plays out. Uh, I liked a lot of the characters. Um, I thought some of them were perhaps a little bit thinly drawn, um, but for the most part, I, I thought they all played their part. I really did not like the um, the owner of the, the housing block, uh, Mr. Alfonso. 
whoever that actor is, like he deserved some kind of award for his performance because <laughs> I genuinely believed him to be some kind of awful paedophile. Um, yeah. Like he was just, he, he looked familiar to me as well. Like I've seen him in something else, but for the life of me, I can't think what. Um, but yeah, like he, he was, he was excellent. I really liked uh, hating his character. <laughs> um, and I was constantly struck by the fact that Alice would, he's their landlord and she's calling him fatty and she's being insolent towards him and stuff. And I'm just like, I, how is she not worried about him throwing them out on the street or at her age? Does she even know or care about that? Like, and he just puts up with it as well. He's just like, yeah, you can call me that if you want. Just come here and give me some of that sugar. Like, Ugh. he's yeah, like he's a nasty, nasty man. Yeah. Um, I thought that they could have done a better job of finding names for the uh, the, the the priest and the ex husband that didn't sound exactly the same. Um, <laughs> like Dom and Tom. Like, come on, like you've got a type, and it's people who end with oms. Om nom nom nom. <laughs> so I I don't know. Like it's little picky things, really. But um, I have to say, like overall, I thought it was a, a pretty decently made movie. Good acting, some slightly dodgy accents, which I'm not 100 sold on. There was a spaghetti western vibe with one or two of the characters where they're. I noticed were, that too. Yeah, yeah. Like it definitely felt like the ADR was done after the fact. Whoever the actress was that played Alice, because. For some reason, I thought that Brooke Shields would have played Alice, but no, she plays Karen. She's dead within ten mm. minutes. Like it's it's yeah. it's over. She's done. Um, whoever was playing Alice, I felt like she had ADR'd her. It was almost like watching Flash Gordon. But the thing is, when you watch Flash Gordon, I have never thought to myself, "Oh, Flash is being ADR'd." Like that is someone else's voice. I felt that way with this. I felt that Alice was being voiced by someone else because her voice is just so much stronger and older sounding than the girl me, that we see on screen. Let me interject, Dave, because I, I discovered something uh, in reading the Wikipedia page. I'm sure, Andy, you read this too. Um, she had her 19th birthday while they were filming. What? <laughs> that that girl is 18 what or 19. She was in college. <laughs> yeah. Holy which when I saw that, I was like, shit. holy shit. <laughs> yeah, because Brooke Shields looks looks her age, which is like, what, uh, eight, nine, something like that? She's, she's young. Um, and uh, and yeah, yet Alice somehow is, I uh, confused the two of them. Wow. Well, and it's, <laughs> and it's weird because she she does look younger. She looks a lot younger than, than 18 or 19. But also, when you find sounds out she's 30. 18 or 19, do what'd you say? <laughs> she sounds 30. She sounds thirty. She yes. Sounds older. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but she has a. She does have a look to where you're like, okay, now I can see it. Like I, I, I it is weird. It's it's sort of off putting because it's like their, your mind is is catching it, but at the same time, yeah, yeah. I, she I know definitely. Exactly what you mean that blew my mind. The way that, that they dressed her, and especially when she's got the pigtails, um, when she's in the uh, the psychiatric hospital, and her parents go to visit her there, like they definitely dress her in ways that make her look younger. But for the most part during the movie, she's got her hair down and it's, yeah. it's literally just because she's wearing certain types of clothing that makes you think that she's younger. I would have put her at like 14 max. That yeah, absolutely she, blows my mind. She must be, I don't know if they did anything with, um, I'm assuming they didn't with like forced perspective or anything like that, but she, she also is pretty short. Um, yeah. Like the, that when I started paying attention to it, when she would go into doors and stuff, and 
even for 18, 19, she looks very small. So, yeah. Mm. That absolutely there. blows my mind. What the hell? Cue yeah. the gif of uh, scanners. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. We we tied it all together. Perfect use. Um, but yeah, yeah um, I, I thought it was a, a decent film. I, I didn't think it blew the doors off or anything. Like it's not going to be one that I refer back to for years to come. But I, I think there's some very interesting things that they do with this, and some stuff which will probably, if you guys don't mention it, then we'll probably talk about it later on um, to do with visual motifs, which um I, I found quite interesting uh but yeah it's there's he complains about telephone booths blowing up and now he wants doors <laughs> blowing off well you know I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm english I, as far as i'm concerned you should only ever blow the bloody doors off dave uh if i can recommend a double feature for you tinterera uh i think might have the uh the action that you're the looking tiger for shark <laughs> tinterera <laughs> That sounds I don't like know, a spaghetti western, it, by the way, that title. It does. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Uh, okay, Andy, let's let's jump over to you. All right. So, uh, first, my overall thoughts, and then I have so much to say about what Dave just said. Um, <laughs> no, 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 not, not, not in, a, in a bad way. No, just, I, don't, I really don't mind, Andy. I like I have, it. I have, <laughs> I have thoughts about some things that you mentioned where nice. I think I, I have some interpretation maybe... Um, anyway, so I really liked that movie. I, again, I did not know too much about it. I know stabbings and sisters. <laughs> um, I had no idea that um, Brooke Shields dies after 12 minutes. I also did not know that she's not Alice. <laughs> um, I wasn't as confused by the two girls. I was, I mean, one dies after 12 minutes. After that, it's pretty clear who's who. Yeah, for um, sure, yeah. But... <laughs> But aesthetically, I thought it was pretty amazing. The camera work was 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 really interesting. A lot of POVs, a lot of weird angles. I loved that landlord. <laughs> he, that character, definitely is a piece of shit. Mm. Uh, I'm pretty sure uh, because I looked him up, uh, Dave. Uh, if you've seen Bloodsucking Freaks or Night of the Zombies, you have a chance of having seen him before in the movie. But oh, he only made those zombies, three yeah. movies. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well. um, I thought the girl who played um alice was great she's only in one other movie <laughs> so my two favorite actors in this movie one made three movies the other made two <laughs> <laughs> um uh, i thought it was pretty brutal with the with the killings i did not yeah. see the reveal coming i throughout the movie i was trying to think mm, who could it be that person no that person was here when mm. the murder happened and that person no that person was there as well it's not angela <laughs> yeah um, i thought it was angela uh, but, before they mentioned it themselves and then i was like well that's ruined it for yeah. me because i'm definitely not right then so the the reveal that it's the housekeeper and 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 the whole very strong religious angle um, mm -hmm. um that's making her her do this who's making her killing those people um that was interesting and i was I found it very interesting that the the reveal comes when the movie still has 30 minutes to go. Yeah, it's not a I last minute too. reveal. It's not like the big ending of the movie. The movie still has half an hour to go and the audience already knows who the killer is, which is very yeah. interesting. So I was very curious where the movie would go from there. And I thought the ending was pretty strong. Uh, we need to talk about that last shot. Um, I did not look anything up about that last shot. Uh, I read most of the wikipedia article which i for that kind of movie is pretty long there's there's a lot of yeah, information and, and, and stuff going on but i didn't read yeah. anything about that 
that that last shot of the movie. Um, so I, I I'd say I, I'm a fan of the movie. I really liked it. Um, the thing, few things that Dave mentioned that I want to say something about the girls looking as much alike as they do, the guys being called Tom and Dom. We also have Ellie and Annie. We have Karen and Catherine. Hmm. I think this is all on purpose. There's a strong doppelganger motif going in this movie. There's uh. several shots with mirrors uh, and a doppelganger pretty much is a mirror image of oneself. So I think this is very intentional having these 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 things rhyme, these names rhyme and these images rhyme in a way. And not that I have a really strong interpretation <laughs> on that thing, but um, the movie quickly made me think of an old TV show from the 80s, a, a German and a co-production between the Netherlands and Germany. So a show that I saw as a kid, it's called Bas Boris Bordes. It's the name of the main character. The main character is a young boy and that boy uh, suddenly sees like a doppelganger of himself and that doppelganger is wearing a raincoat and a hood and that image of that raincoat and oh, the wow. doppelganger motif. So that is... that. That shows. I've never seen it again since the mid '80s, but it's it and it, it had this like yeah scary elements. It's it's a mystery show with scary elements. So to me, as a I don't know at that point nine year old or so, it it, it was almost a horror um, series in parts at least. Um, so anyway, that image is is in my mind, although not having seen that show since the mid '80s, so quickly came to mind. When I when I watched um, Alice Sweet Alice, so I didn't read anything about the doppelganger motif. Again, that's something that is not on, in the Wikipedia article, which I thought might be there. But I think that is something that is an angle um, you could view this movie from and and find an interpretation on the whole doppelganger thing and the, the rhyming of motifs and names and stuff. Anyway, David. Yeah, no. I, to touch on that quick, I I buy that one hundred percent. I think that um, I hadn't thought of that at all, but everything you said is there for sure. Um, it's so I had uh, the reason I wanted to go last too is because I I've been not struggling with it, but I, I, I honestly I think where I landed before we even started recording was I need to watch it again, <laughs> and and not because uh, it's I didn't understand it or you know it's there's so much going on, but there is a weird vibe to the movie in the sense that um uh, i just i just forgot his name alfred soul was that what it was the the writer director co-writer director um co-wrote it with rosemary ritvo who i believe was a friend of his that maybe a um a professor or something they they both came from not film <laughs> backgrounds he was an architect um okay yeah she was an english doctoral student at fordham university and his neighbor and they talked about movies all the time, and, and she was Catholic, and they would talk about that stuff, and they started meeting on weekends to work on the script. So he was an architect uh, before that. Uh, you can tell 100%, I think, <laughs> watching the film. There's a lot of uh, cool shots of the buildings and the architecture that's going on um, throughout. It reminded me in some ways of something like uh, uh, Carnival of Souls um, or another film that we watched recently, Bad Hair where it was a someone who who has a vision someone who has some experience in different ways maybe not in the traditionally horror way making a horror movie so you're you're seeing things that are 
moments and shots or whatever that are so feel so unique and fresh, uh, you know, even what 40 some years later, uh, 30 some years later, whatever it is, I'm terrible at math. Um, but other things where that you don't typically see in horror movies, right? That it's not necessarily leaning into um, some of the the tropes or whatever else. It's kind of a, a cool, unique angle. Even using the the scene where um, the killer's revealed and and she's <laughs> she's rolling the dad out of the the window or whatever. That whole sequence, um, you know, him coming up there, getting stabbed, getting hit, the way that it's filmed and blocked and shot and the edits and everything don't feel it's strange it feels like a horror movie but not like a horror movie from the era and so i malignant's another one we talked about recently that's that has an element of that but with malignant the interesting thing to me and the fascinating thing about it is knowing okay there's not pretty much anything here for the most part probably and i'm not saying he's a, a perfect filmmaker James Wan likely did intentionally, you know, there's, there was a, a reason these things or these, these performances or, you know, whatever else was done this way for stuff like this, for stuff like Carnival of Souls or, or Bad Hair to maybe a slightly lesser extent. Um, not slightly, he had done stuff before. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty, pretty much raw, uh, talent on display. Um, I believe from what I read about, uh, Alfred Soul, he had done one other film was an adult film before this. Um, so this was his first, like, you know, non-pornographic, I guess, like, feature. Uh, he also did a film after that called Pandemonium, which is, uh, I think, a, like a slasher sort of parody, maybe. Um, kind of a comedy. And then he, after that, was a production designer for a long time. Um, all the way up until, let me find. He was working on, he worked on Veronica Mars. He worked on... Um, what was the last movie or castle he worked on castle for many years so worked all the way up until his death um which unfortunately I also found out died by suicide um so he's had this he had this interesting career in looking at sort of the the places that he worked the movies that he worked on um the the television shows and having these early sort of directorial efforts at least this one that we're seeing um it, it felt more a little bit more raw in terms of there were plenty of other moments in the film where I watched it and it was like, okay, this feels like someone who's never made a movie before and not necessarily in a way where I'm, I'm shitting on him, but just, you know, the, sometimes it works for the movie's benefit in a way that makes it really interesting. Other times it felt like it was, the seams were showing a little bit for me. So I had this kind of weird up and down experience throughout the whole thing. I, I definitely enjoyed it um, overall. And I'm super glad I watched it. I want to watch it again. You know, it's, I think now from what I've read, retrospectively it's um become more of a, a cult slasher you know within horror circles and has gotten reappraised in a lot of ways which is you know something we see um happen pretty pretty often in horror especially with movies from the 60s 70s 80s um and uh i think it's deserving of that for sure uh, there's there's so much in it that is uh is different and still feels different now which i think in and of itself is a big accomplishment um but I, I want to rewatch it again, kind of knowing where it's going, knowing more of the background that I know now and and have sort of a, um, a, a more focused sort of look. The, the doppelganger stuff that you mentioned, Andy, looking for that stuff again. The religious stuff uh, I was pretty into. It sounds like at the time um, it was more controversial because it's it's was perceived or maybe even just described as very sort of anti-religious 
even even for me, I mean, I'm <clears throat> I'm like I'm not religious, but I, I have obviously a, a big background with with that stuff. To me, it didn't feel even anti-Catholic. It just felt like, you know, anti-murderer. <laughs> like she's <laughs> she's she's not she's not like your average Catholic. <laughs> like, no, I don't know that anybody would watch this movie and be like that. One of the, all those Catholics are all just like her. Like she's unhinged. So there's there's, you know, stuff wrong that's that's going on and her perceptions and everything are all are, are all very skewed and extreme and wrong yeah. um but i i did find that stuff interesting because it's uh it is it is there through and through on the sleeve i mean it opens with a rose i don't even know if that's the rosary but it opens with prayer <laughs> and a person praying obviously the murder happens at a first communion you know what i really liked and this is dark uh I thought it was crazy that she set her body on fire. <laughs> that <Yeah>. was insane <laughs> to me. She kills her and throws her in there. And I was like, what? She's going to set her on fire now? So a lot of those shots, I thought, the, the, you mentioned earlier, Andy, the violence and the, the attacks in it, they, there is, a, again, like this, this unique sort of rawness to it that doesn't feel like other slashers of the time. Um, and, and different times and moments it does, you know, when there's fake blood and, and stabbings and retractable knives and all that kind of stuff. But a lot of the decisions in terms of even one that, that stood out to me that was small. I mentioned that scene earlier where she's rolling the the dad out of the window or out of the, the doors or whatever in that mm. building. Um, they have him at one point after he realizes it's her and not uh, – he thinks – who does he think it is again? Does he think it's Alice? He thinks it's the cousin. Um, or Yeah, that's right. Angela. Um, yeah, sure. Angela. Um he starts after he realizes it's the the older woman, he starts screaming. And those even that stood out to me to where it was like, man, this this is a like it is it, it doesn't feel s- scripted in the sense that it's like cuz he's screaming over what she's saying. He sounds but there's just like kind of this weird rawness to it. Yeah, the shot where he um falls out of the window and you have that mirror. It it doesn't really look like he fell out of a building, but again, pretty unique interesting way to shoot it and and have this sort of impact come off camera but within yeah i don't know so it was one of those where i was taking note a lot of times some most of the time good sometimes bad but then by the end was just kind of like i don't even know that i'm gonna log this on letterboxd yet i want to rewatch it and sort of have a better sort of take which was similar Mm -hmm. to how i was with carnival of souls which now is one of my favorite uh horror movies ever but uh, at the time, it was uh, the first time I watched it, which I believe was for the show with with you guys. Um, Herc Harvey, I think was his name, having him do, you know, his background be in industrial films and, you know, have this sort of very kind of clinical um, sort of cold uh, by, you know, by design approach to what he had done before. And then making this surreal, you know, kind of horror movie that ends up being an influence on David Lynch Um there's there's hits and misses, but the misses are interesting too because it's not, you know, necessarily just your your horror fan at the time who wants to make a horror movie. It's this dude who has a completely different background and completely different interests and hmm. that are outside of the normal stuff you would see at the time. So while there are some tropey things in it, and it's definitely clear that it would it's a slasher and it follows. We uh, we didn't mention this, but um, one of the big influences was Don't Look Now. Um, with the uh, the raincoat um, and sort of like the psychological aspect of it to a certain degree, um, familial stuff and all that. Um, but yeah, again, there's just a, a lot of stuff in there where you're like, oh, this is uh, th- this is interesting. Where did this come from? <laughs> where did this 
where did this shot originate was this Mm-hmm. Um, different way of looking at it, which I think is great. Uh, bad hair I mentioned earlier, that was one of my favorite things about that was, you know, sometimes the horror stuff didn't necessarily click or or work very well because, um, you know, it, my take uh, when we watched it, similar sort of to like Red State with Kevin Smith, where it's like, okay, this isn't someone who's made horror before, but is a fan, um, and but they've made other films before. They have some sort of experience that um, is is bringing a level of competency just in a different way. That stuff is 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 super interesting to me. Um, the, the, yeah, there was one or two shots that I thought to myself because I, I think you, um, I think Andy mentioned uh, about uh, the, um, the the drama from the eighties, and I, I thought that you were going to be talking about how there were certain shots in this film that felt like kind of soap opera shots, like um, when the uh, the mother and, and her ex husband are kind of embracing. And the camera pulls in on her face, and it's kind of someone's got the old uh, Vaseline out and s- smeared it all over the lens, and <laughs> you know it's pulled right in on her face, and it's like you can you can almost hear the swelling emotional music, you know, like days of our lives bullshit coming coming for you. Um, I, I thought it was, it was interesting to see that it, it didn't at times feel like it was shot by someone that made movies; it was shot by someone that yeah. almost was more. Um, familiar with making TV or at the very least was more familiar with how things looked filmed for TV and it kind of makes sense if if the guy was um, if he cut his teeth with that one how bloody talking of teeth this dog's back Um, he cut his teeth uh, filming adult movie Um, but then the only things that he's actually had to... I'm sorry I sound distracted, but I'm defending myself. Um, <laughs> there we go, she's gone. Um, the the only things that he's probably been exposed to to kind of learn his craft may have been watching TV, and that's where he gets some of those shots from. But that being said, given that this is like his second movie or whatever, like I'm, I'm very impressed with some of the shots that he gets like there are some really really well done shots like for example there's uh this one take it's not a particularly long take or anything like that but it's near the end of the film when um alice and her mum are leaving for mass and then uh, the camera pans to the left to the back of the property and the housekeeper is making her way into the oh, house oh yeah like that yeah. It, it just felt like a really natural shot you know, and I, I thought that it showed some knowledge of, of filmmaking that we were getting that kind of shot, which, you know, you, you blink and you miss it. You don't really necessarily think about it. But knowing now that he had made I, so I noticed, few. Yeah, I, I noticed that too, uh, that I took note of that shot. The the other one that uh, at the, toward the beginning was when they start intercutting with um, Karen's death with the the mask like those are very sort of sudden shocking cuts mm. and the way they cut back and forth i thought was was really effective yeah that's just a chris farley moment for you chris farley show. <laughs> um, but also i like that shot <laughs> <laughs> the uh I, I wanted to also uh speak on the uh this idea that seems to be very popular certainly from from looking at the um the the discussion of the film on wikipedia and then the articles it links to um the the idea that this is an anti catholicism film or at least it's a film that has a lot of anti catholic um sentiment in it and sorry again going for the toys to save my arms uh once again like i i 
agree with you that I, I don't really see it as being an anti-Catholicism film. If if anything, it's warning against the um, kind of like the, the the most ardent followers, you know, the, the people that yeah. really kind of like believe in like Old Testament blood and thunder. Like if, yeah. if your eye <clears throat> um, offends you, pluck it out kind of thing, you know, like don't take these things so literally and and don't be so quick to judge people based on your very very high standards i I think if if this film was to be um anti-catholic you wouldn't have a character as wholesome as father dominic um sorry yeah that's what i was gonna say yeah the 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 those people are not portrayed it's she's clearly an an outlier (laughs) that is not not part of the the norm i did enjoy the the very ballsy move of stabbing him in the neck in front of the entire church (laughs) i was not expecting uh, that i made a i made a noise pretty cool (laughs) (laughs) i like how everyone is just frozen after that too like they she grabs uh she grabs alice but then everyone is just kind of standing there watching it happen Mm. uh for quite a long time until the the one cop runs in the very last shot Andy, you mentioned earlier i went back and forth with that i think because I was like, are they trying to say something here? I I, I couldn't quite tell. Uh, Alice as a character, and <clears throat> I was going to mention this too. I, I watched the first um, probably two third, close to half last night. So was falling asleep, um, so I stopped it, went to bed, and then finished it this morning. So maybe there was something that filled in the blanks here that I that I missed in in between um, starting and stopping it. But was there was there ever a reason given for why? they she hates alice so much at the beginning as opposed to loving karen i don't know i think the problem is i've read a few things and it always says about she's jealous um of her sister um maybe i I mean the mom like yeah because right out the gate at the beginning she's just like karen come in here do this and she's like alice you fucking bitch (laughs) she's immediately like just it seems like she hates her so that was something where i was like is this is are we gonna is this gonna be explained there's there is a okay like i mean there's a there's a disconnect sometimes with yeah but anyway yeah i i think i don't know so that's why i think i struggle with the ending i i think sorry go ahead so i i think the reason i say it's a feedback loop is because i i suspect it it's that alice acts out because karen gets the attention and then as a result of alice acting out her mother becomes more distant to her and like the 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 whole idea of like um uh, alice being distant from her family is something Mm -hmm. that plays into this film um especially at the end where i mean you pay attention and and we uh, as we all did uh the uh the 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 priest gets a knife in the neck um the mother is off being consoled by somebody somewhere alice is just being allowed to wander out of the church no one's paying any attention to her whatsoever to the point that she's actually pushed out of the way by police as they come charging in which leads to this level of alien uh, and alienization or alienation even if i want to use the correct word here um which further entrenches her in this idea that nobody likes me i'm an outcast i'm a misfit and then that has an effect on her mental well-being. And I think at the end, you're kind of seeing her reaching a point of a mental break. And like, there are going to be some people that will be like, well, she's taken that knife. Maybe she she would carry on the murders down the line. 
uh, kind of thing in the same way as like, I don't know, uh, Friday the 13th, you know, like it was the mother in the first movie. And then after that, it was basically um, Jason getting revenge on everyone that killed his mum. Like maybe, maybe there's an element of, of that in there where it's like, well, you know, what we're trying to do here is, is really kind of give you the feeling that, everybody's more worried about what's happened than the effect it's going to have on Alice, who was sitting literally right next to um, Mrs. Uh, Tredoni when she stabs the father through the neck. Yeah. Also, the father refuses to give her communion, even though like he was going to. And I know there are reasons for that. You can't have communion because... I don't know. It was also a bastard. It was also a strange plan for them to be like. Well, I assume. uh, Let's make sure we can pretend. (laughs) I I assume that they didn't think that she was going to be right next to Alice and her mother when communion was taken, and she did have to physically force her way through a crowd to get there. Um, But yeah, I just it was a really ill thought out plan, and the moment that they said we want to put a marksman in in the church, and he said there will be no (laughs) such thing in my church, I thought, oh, this guy's dead. (laughs) <laughs> he's yeah, well, dead there there i think part of it too there's also part of me that was like couldn't they just be like hey mr Ryan, come here for a second <laughs> like yeah fact, like she doesn't yeah. know that they know yet or so, but here's, anyway. a, here's a legit idea um she's facing one way the door is in the opposite direction get two of your biggest <laughs> burliest bastard police officers to walk down grab her by both arms and pull her out screaming and kicking if you have to <laughs> But like you know, she is a multiple murderer at this point. She does not deserve the consideration of "Would you step this way, please? We need to talk to you about something." Just get the cuffs on her and pull her out of there. She's a danger to everybody. Like she's got her and bag I think, with her. <laughs> I think too. You mentioned earlier, Dave. I think that is a spot on um, uh, uh, observation with the cop pushing her because it's it's done. And so, at pushing Alice out of the way, mm. it's done in such a way that is not accidental in terms yeah. of them. Like, it doesn't look like it was matter. an accident. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. And so, like, I definitely feel the the theme of of neglect and just this this kid that's ignored. And you know what? Uh, obviously, the film I think is kind of exploring that at the beginning because they're jumping around and making you think Alice is the killer, etc. Mm. Um, but. Yeah, there was there was one. I think that that was one area where I was like, I kind of want to know more about what's going on in here because I think yeah. it's mostly just kind of given to us as, well, she's messed up because she's ignored, which you know is fine, is it, makes sense. Is it a few terms that we haven't mentioned yet that I think um, are it, just we'll push this thing in the same direction? Um, puberty, menstruation is mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, so, that's true. Yep, uh, divorce. Because uh, mm. her that, that we, we mentioned, or you guys mentioned the estrangement from her family, and on another level, the father isn't even there mm. in her daily life. Yeah. Um, and again, something that we I think we haven't mentioned yet. Maybe it was in the Wikipedia um, description. I found it interesting that the movie is made in the mid seventies, but it takes place in nineteen sixty one. Um, so of course the Urge. I mean, the, the services are still in Latin in, in the movie and yeah. at that time. So the, the church is a very different beast <laughs> than it is nowadays, or than it probably was already in the in the mid seventies. And um, the the importance of religion and 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 church and your and the the the, the people 
you this this family has a direct connection to the father <laughs> mm. <laughs> to, mm. uh, so it's not just yeah well going to church once a week it's no Brooke Shields loves she says I love you he gives her yeah. that 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 necklace and and there's a very intimate relationship I mean that's that's how the murders start that the the housekeeper thinks this is too close that <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a divorced woman um, who has googly eyes for the father <laughs> Uh, and and this should not be so. I'm and also, my what, didn't, knife. didn't it come up too that they had the kid before they were married or outside of marriage or something? There was a premarital, mm -hmm. yeah, true. Um, Alex yeah, was saying, as well. and essentially a bastard. Um, I think the, yeah. I, I think also too, you mentioned earlier the divorce aspect. Obviously, that's one thing I think um, I had to kind of keep in mind and remind myself and uh, other viewers in my app do too, because it's such a different thing in the seventies than it is now. Um, mm. whereas it's, it's so common, um, uh, nowadays, in, but in the movie it's 61 even. It's not, oh, even sorry. The 70s. Yeah. 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 61. Um, but so the, there was, yeah, there's a, there's a, I think at one point it's the cops, maybe the detective at the, the funeral, they talk about like, Oh yeah, he, you know, they got a divorce and, and he's with a new person now. And the, even the way those lines are delivered, they feel more significant than, like, just catching you up on the story. <laughs> it feels like mm -hmm. there was oh, this kind of more somewhat scandalous or or whatever thing. Like, oh, that's that's crazy. That's fucked up that that happened so um, maybe that sort of was deal. The reason why, because I was saying earlier, like, I couldn't think of any good reason why it was set in 61 rather than being a contemporaneous story. Um, maybe yeah. that's I mean, it. I think even in the, the 70s, it, 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 it's still like Kramer versus Kramer. And there's different things you can look back at and point to as um, uh, what was the other one that we the horror one, the brood. Uh, we mm. had uh, Josh Simmons on. He, he drew some comparisons there with that. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 I think that that's I think that's spot on. I hadn't really considered that even uh, beyond just sort of the, at the time. But it, it is a big mm. theme of the movie for sure. That's another reason why I wanted to watch it again. It was like there were things where I felt like I, it, you just, I, I had to, hadn't quite clicked into the frequency yet of of what was happening, and I was trying to get there. And um, there was also part of me that was just like I, I feel like I'm not going to have watched this until I talked to Andy and Dave about it. Sometimes we we do movies like that where I'm just kind of like I don't know what I think yet, and 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 not because I need to know your guys's opinions, but because I need to just talk about it. Yeah. And and sort of kind of break it down and um, yeah. Anyway, there, there was an issue that I had with the film right up until the the coffee in the kitchen with Mrs. Tradoni, when suddenly there was a line of dialogue which made everything make sense. But up until that point, I was like, it doesn't make any sense that she started by killing off literally the only member of that family who apparently had led a blameless and selfless Catholic life. Like, yeah, like Karen was point. like an innocent going to her first confession, not first confession, uh, first communion. Um, yeah. a, 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 as far as we're aware, had never said boo to a goose, was always the good girl, was the apple of everyone's eye. Never heard that. And <laughs> have you never heard boo to a goose? No, that's good. <laughs> that's good shit. <laughs> oh, it is. It is. I, I love being British sometimes. I can introduce these sayings. Um, but, you know, like it didn't make any sense to me, like why if you've got a problem with this family because they're all sinners and they all have to die for the good of God, blah, blah, blah. Um, like why start with her? And and then there was this line about how she lost her daughter 
uh, on the day of her first communion as well. And then suddenly I was like, okay, you're not just a religious nutter. You're just a plain old nutter who is using religion as an excuse at this point. Because that, that's well, what it, it is. And it even extends into the other themes that we were talking about because there's the idea of like the sins of the father, the sins of the 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 parents yeah. um the the children being punished for that mm. um and obviously that connects with um uh well, one Alice of the top things being... people associate associate with catholicism which mm. is guilt <laughs> so yeah that's a big part of it too. And, and you see that as a component of alice's um kind of um being made uh very much an island i'm, I'm forgetting the words i'm trying to use now so i'm just using whatever will come yeah um like, i also because of the fact that uh, because her mother and father um, conceived her out of wedlock, then she's not allowed to take communion herself. And that, again, is another mm. reason why she's massively jealous of Karen, because she is allowed to, because she was conceived within wedlock. And and that kind of is a, a part of the setup to where we're thinking, oh, did she or didn't she? Maybe she did kill her because maybe she's just gone off the deep end and she has these jealous feelings about her sister and... You know, I think the fact that she comes in and tries to take communion just after her sister has been bumped off doesn't help. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not that she knows that, of course. Like she's completely innocent, but yeah. There's I also, also the one this. scene which, which um, an, another aspect of the the neglect. Uh, although Alfonso is not as important a person in her life, probably, mm. and she's very mean to him, but. When, when she brings the cake down and he says, well, too bad that she's the one in the ground. God always takes the pretty ones first. Oh. And, and so, I think that's yeah. just because he's a pedophile, though. She was more his age range. I, I think that's, that's also probably <laughs> something that... <laughs> something that, um, uh, well, resonates with, with her, that the, the yeah. younger, oh, yeah, for sure. prettier sister. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, but speaking of pedophiles, the... The the like the, the, the cop scientist that does the the, the lie detector test. Um, oh Jesus! When, yeah, when, what an awkward <laughs> line. Says, Did you see her tits? She looked at me like she wanted me to feel her up or something like that. That was <sighs> very weird. Bearing in mind, like this character is meant to be twelve years old. Yes. Yeah. Like regardless of how old the actress is, like the character in this story is meant to be twelve. Like what the fuck? <laughs> Just there's a. This is the last thing I, I have uh, to mention that's very Chris Farley-esque, but I also liked the, made me think of that gif of Sting at WWE, where she takes off one mask and has another mask on underneath. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that that was, was the beginning. I, that, yeah, that was a great sequence. I like that. He's done that so yeah. many times as well. He's done it in TNA. He's done it in WWE. He did an AEW run with that. Like, it's become a thing now. Like, he's just going to keep doing it until his dying day, I'm sure. <laughs> it, is, it, was a, it was a creepy moment, too, at the beginning when, yeah. yeah. That was nice. Yeah, I, I guess for you, Andy, that does make sense. What's better than one mask? Another mask on top of a mask. <laughs> You're a big, uh, big mask guy. <laughs> um, I don't know that um, I have just, any other big just, stuff. I, like I said, I wanted to rewatch it, and I also am talking over Andy accidentally. Andy? No, just because we, we, we mentioned the several titles, and uh, just to give a quick explanation for that. So the movie premiered, I believe, in the UK under the title... Um, uh, was communion first or else we now i'm confused i think it was, communion alice was, was first. first no communion communion was first yeah. yeah and then they released it, and then it in the u.s under alice sweet alice and in 81 when brooke shields became famous they re-released it under holy terror that's where the holy terror <laughs> title came from <laughs> um 
the uh, uh, for anybody out there who is uh, interested in in physical media stuff, like a lot of us are, the uh, Arrow Blu-ray that I picked up that was on sale on Amazon uh, is great. Um, I don't know if um, uh, if if Dave has edited in now or will at all uh, the TV spot that I sent over at the <laughs> beginning they... of our conversation. Yeah. Okay. Cool. They uh, they always do a lot of awesome you know stuff from the times of of. Uh, whether it's TV spots or trailers, there's a Holy tra- uh, holy Terror trailer on there, commentaries, a lot of good stuff. Um, so that's a, another part of why I wanted to kind of rewatch it and and dig into it a bit more um, because, there, yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff going on that's interesting. And um, I also wanted to watch it with, with other people, too. There was also part of it, not, not that it's like a, a movie like Pieces where, it, you know, it's best enjoyed with a bunch of people and, and alcohol or whatever, <laughs> but... Um, that, that did feel, I think, probably hearkening back to what I was saying before about just discussion and kind of talking with other people and, and noticing things and picking up on on themes or motifs. I also saw someone, um, actually, here, I have it right here in front of me, uh, genre scholar John Kenneth Muir. Uh, he views the film as a precursor to such films as Seven, which focus on individuals being punished by death for their sins and character flaws. I thought that was interesting, too. Mm-hmm. Um, we think of that with slashers but usually with just kind of the um freddy jason like don't have sex you know the Mm. cabin in the woods sort of tropes um but this one is definitely much more rooted in the catholicism rooted in virtues all that kind of stuff especially of the time that would have been more inflammatory i think Um, the the biggest uh lesson that i took from this was uh, if you don't take your milk in early enough then it's definitely going to end in your murder um it's true it's one of my favorite <laughs> continuity errors that i've seen recently because i always notice these things and i have a constant rolling list of favorite continuity errors but it's when the the detective picks up that big uh tin that i, I guess is like a deposit point for milk bottles and he 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 pulls it back and the milk falls out of it and i wonder if he even knew it was in there because he reacts almost <laughs> like naturally like he didn't wasn't expecting it but then he throws the empty tin through the window of the door unlocks the door and then when he goes into the uh, the actual foyer of the building there's milk all over the floor as though it's magically all been put back in it's like they've done several takes and put it together there and i just love that apparently he lost all the milk on the way in and then all of the milk magically transported to the inside of the foyer afterwards i i also lied i have one other chris farley show observation that i liked Um, at the very end when she stabs uh the dude in front of everybody um there's a part where he's at that point basically dead and she's almost hugging him and they have the mm. blood pool over from his throat and yeah. start pouring down the yellow raincoat i just thought that was a nice detail looked uh it's you know got that great 70s blood look um but it was a cool little uh like a hot dog. little detail is another one of the is <laughs> another one of those things that just kind of felt a little bit off kilter from violence and, and killings and stuff of, of films of the time uh, where it, it's not quite the stuff where people are used to seeing or like we're we're gonna do these sort of kills or whatever. There's a, a rawness at times that kind of yanks you out of it in a, in a in a nice way to where it's mm. it's sort of disturbing. Um, yeah, the, anyway. st- the stab in the neck for sure felt really guttural. Like I I know it's like a spring loaded knife or whatever, and they probably filmed it at like two times speed and then slowed it down so that you know they could be careful or whatever the hell. But I let out like a guttural ugh when when that oh, yeah. happened because I was not expecting it. Despite him saying he didn't want a marksman in his church, I just 
Should have had that sniper up in the balcony. <laughs> Should have done. It wouldn't have done anything for him, but it would have taken her head off, no problem. Yeah. <laughs> Good grief. Uh, you guys have any other big uh, thoughts, notes, edits? No, edits. Oh, Just one, one more thing. This week. Um, uh, I thought about watching the movie. I thought to myself, well, it's kind of a proto-slasher. Movie takes place in 61. Psycho was released in 60. And then there's a Psycho poster in the movie. <laughs> there is. I'm glad you mentioned that. <laughs> Behind the fucking <laughs> casket. <laughs> well, there's an, audio, there's an audio cue to it as well. Um, and there was a couple of audio cues, actually, that I, I noticed. Um, the When he goes to meet who he thinks is Angela, and he's in the staircase, and he's climbing up to, to meet her. And uh, then Tridoni kind of leans over the stair and stabs him in the shoulder. Like there yeah. is a definite kind of rip off of, and I don't know how you rip off a single chord being played over and over, but it, there, there is a definite rip off of the scream. A scream? Good God, psycho. Um, like knife Rips attack. off scream. Yeah. Ahead of its time. <laughs> it went forward in time, found scream, looked for what it was looking <laughs> for, went back, put it in, and then got ripped off a couple of years later. Um <laughs> But yeah, so there was that, but also like there's the moment where I think it's the father, Dominic, he goes into the basement to try and find Alice after her aunt has been stabbed in the leg, um, which, by the way, probably my favorite. Um, it's not a murder scene because she survives, but attempted murder for sure. Yeah. Like it, it's it's like they got a side of a pig or something and just went ham on it. And I didn't expect that to be a pun, but there we are. I've done it anyway. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> so um, he goes down into the basement to find her, and there's like that white sheet across. But as he's walking down into the uh, the basement, the strings that are playing behind just, oh, my God. I can't remember what it reminded me of right now, but it was just such a, a beautiful audio cue, and it really hyped up the tension as he was walking down in there because it was – it was like um it was just this constant like you know it was almost ghostbusters that's what it reminded me of it reminded me of certain points in ghostbusters when there's that tension where there's like a, a ghost about to appear or something and the strings kind of start off low and then they go higher and higher and higher and it's it's not like a, the saw motion of violins where you can hear the note just repeating it's just one constant drone as the note climbs higher and higher and higher. I think Ghostbusters 2 used it an awful lot, especially when Oscar was kidnapped by um, the ghost nanny, which inexplicably had the face of the guy who worked in the museum, even though he was alive and couldn't possibly be a ghost. And that has always confused me, even to this day. I don't know. I have to read the novelization <laughs> to see what it says. But um, yeah, I just I really love those audio cues. I thought they were beautiful um and probably rip-offs um certainly the the uh, psycho one is but i liked it anyway ripped off scream ripped off ghostbusters guy was a fucking hack he was ahead of his time <laughs> he had access to a time machine and he wasn't afraid to use it i i do love i mentioned that earlier too but i i do love that his his career continued in such a different way um and not that i i'm saying that in a way that i wouldn't have wanted to see more films from him i obviously would have but um yeah it's interesting to see those those paths kind of diverge and everything mm -hmm. else um double feature picks andy let's start it off with you i have three and i'm still undecided which one to pick <laughs> <laughs> because i think each one fits very well for different reasons um 
and there's uh, one common aspect to all these movies because Alice Sweet Alice came out in 1976, the year I was born. So I thought I'll pick a movie from the same year just because it's my birth year. And yeah. then I came up with three. <laughs> um, all from 76? All from God, 76. they released that many movies in 1976? <laughs> wow. <laughs> it was all four movies that came out in 1976. Holy um, shit. So I'll, I'll just tell you all three and, and why they fit with Alice Sweet Alice. Uh, Kids in Religion, The Omen. Yep. Proto mm-hmm. Slasher, The Town That Dreaded Sundown. Yep. Ooh, yep. That was a big year. Inspiration and Outcasts, Carrie. Yeah, and two, two all movies that we discussed are, on this show, all on the poster too. <laughs> they they clearly were uh, capitalizing on that too, which is yeah, perfect. Dave, I have no such original thoughts. Uh, I should have looked at the films that were released in my birth year, but that wouldn't really have any say, would it? Um, so I've, I'm just gonna, I. I I had one that I thought of and then one that I saw in the Wikipedia article that I immediately thought, oh, that works really well. Um, so I'm not going to be original at all. I'll, I'll mention, um, I thought that the idea of, I said this to my mum this morning, it's a film where you think the killer is the killer until you realise it's not the killer, they're actually a victim. Um, and the killer is someone completely different. And then I was like, well, that's basically Friday the 13th, right? Because everyone's like oh my god like you know the, there's it's the spirit of uh of jason Voorhees is is uh coming for retribution and and everyone's dying because of it and it turns out it's his mum and then they were like actually that's a really good idea for a sequel so we'll bring him in for the sequel um but i uh i actually really like the idea of don't look now just because it did inspire certainly certain visual motifs and i think oh, i yeah. did pick up on the raincoat thing um just not enough to be able to link them together myself. It was only when I read about the fact that it was inspired by Don't Look Now. Doesn't I haven't seen Don't Look Now. You guys did an episode on it, right? I think when I was out. out I maybe. think we did, yeah, because yeah. I've definitely spoken about it before because I do like that film an awful lot. Is the, yeah, I, isn't the raincoat I red? I think we that? didn't have an color. episode on it. Did we not? It's possible. Oh, did we not? Okay. I mean, we, I'm not entirely sure if we can look it up. Um, it is I mean, the raincoat. It's, it's pretty sure that okay. we talked about the movie. I'm not sure that we did a specific. I may episode. have spoken about it in one of our preambles where we speak about what we watched this week. Yeah, I was going to say it, it may not be that we did an episode. It, well, maybe we did, but if we didn't, it may have been that you guys saw it and then you and Bianca saw it and then Dave saw it right after or something. Because I remember there was a whenever it was there was a conversation between the two, um, two of you guys. So anyway. Uh, I'd just like to apologize to anyone that their ears were blown out by my dog. Um, Just sounded like you were disagreeing with me. (laughs) Somebody had the temerity to walk across our window, um, and (laughs) she hates that. She hates people exercising their right to walk wherever they like in public spaces. Um, (laughs) Yeah, common, common, common uh, annoyance. Common dog thing, apparently. Uh, I have to to bring this up now. Because I know we're, we're done, but I have to keep with the doppelganger motif. That fucking doll with the several faces. Poppy agrees. <laughs> uh, no, I'm, absolutely. I'm, I didn't even... I was looking for images for our either. social media post, and the, the doll came up with... I don't know if it has two or three faces, but... I that, wondered uh, if it I think, had a second. Uh, it has definitely two faces. Okay. Um, but yeah, that, I think that also 
as well with my yeah there's there's too many things for it to not be a coincidence <laughs> i think i think you nailed that also uh, this my is apparently feature... a batman prequel just out of nowhere <laughs> turns out she was two-faced all along <laughs> okay uh my uh my double feature pick is gonna sound like a joke because i've already made the joke but i am genuinely interested in now and tentorera <laughs> the double feature pick <laughs> that was selected for the british tv spot i'm going to do my best to watch it this week and report back <laughs> next week uh because it is a 1977 mexican british horror film it's co-starring Hugo Stiglitz, who uh, I oh. know of because of *Inglorious Bastards*, obviously. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a, it's a Jaws ripoff. In case you couldn't guess that already, <laughs> it's about a tiger shark. But uh, it has captured. But the poster and the title uh, have captured my imagination, and it is now the double feature pick for me to always associate with this film. I'll let you guys know next week um, how stupid of a pick it was or not. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there'll be some crazy stuff in there. Two sharks. There's all these connections we don't expect. Tiger shark and a um, not tiger shark. <laughs> <laughs> uh, cool. Well, listeners, uh, let us know if you watched this, what you thought. What was your uh, um, uh, take, if you had a take on this film? Um, and yeah, let us know over on social media, Facebook, Twitter, whatever. If you want to email us, as we mentioned at the beginning of the show, international at gmail.com. Uh, in the meantime, stay safe out there, keep watching horror movies, and we will see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This has been a production of FanOff.com. And that's perfect.